Hey, 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 listeners, thanks for joining me today. My name is Chuck Tuck, and I am, of course, your host with Behind the Story with Chuck Tuck. So today's topic is a really important one, and it, well, it's timeless. Timeless in a bad way, because we're talking about uh, substance abuse, and substance abuse really could be anything, uh, drugs, alcohol, well, Abuse can be, like I said, anything. But here are some statistics. And of course, statistics, let me see if I can even say that. Statistics, of course, can be a tricky thing because you can manipulate it to sound or be pretty much anything you want it to be. Now, this particular one comes from the NCDAS, which is the National Centers for uh, Drug Abuse Statistics. And this is some statistics from... Uh, that they gathered from two, the year 2000 forward. So 700,000 drug overdose deaths in the U.S. since 2000. And then also the federal budget for drug control uh, in 2020 was $35 billion. Now, 19.4% of the people have used illicit drugs at least once, Okay. So let me go ahead and go down the list here as far as some of these other statistics go because it's pretty um, crazy, especially when they're saying the age of 12 on up. So again, these are just some statistics. And if the years change, I'll let you know the years, but this is just information that's gathered from or since the year 2000, unless otherwise stated. And it says that among America's age 12 years, and older, 31.9 million are current illegal drug users and that they have used within the last 30 days. Now, 11.7% of Americans 12 and over uh, use illegal drugs. And here's the one. 53 million or 19.4% of people 12 and over have used illegal drugs or misused prescription drugs within the last year. So let's throw in cigarettes, alcohol, and tobacco. So if you include alcohol and tobacco in this, 165 million, or that's 60, that's 60, 60.2% of Americans aged 12 years or older currently abuse drugs. And that is that they have used or abused uh, within the past 30 days. Now, out of that, uh, 139.8 million Americans, again, 12 years and over, drink alcohol. 14.8 million or 10.6% of them um, have an alcohol use disorder. That one, I'm not sure how you would uh, classify or diagnose or you know what is the disorder so I'm just reading statistics and here 58.8 million people use tobacco so again there's just a lot of statistics and you can find all this information on the website at the NCDAS again that's the National Centers for Drug Abuse Statistics so anyhow Today, like I said, very important topic, and I've got two great guests. They're 
formerly married, but they have a business together. They used to also have a business in the past, but of course, uh, drug and substance abuse destroyed their marriage and their former business. So let's get on with this conversation with Dana and David. David, Dana, welcome. The topic today is a serious topic. David, why don't you go ahead and start and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. I am an interventionist. I'm a life recovery coach, co-authored a book with Dana, Addiction Rescue, The No BS Guide to Recovery. I'm currently living in South Florida, was involved in the opioid documentaries of several PBS and the CDC's Rx Awareness Campaign, which we won an Emmy for last year, as well as several national and international awards. Also helped create legislation in the opioid epidemic in the state of Minnesota in 2019 already. And 12 states have copied our lead. So that's what I'm doing. So uh, I partner with David. We are ex-spouses, but we do run a business together. like David said, he does the interventions. I do the family coaching. So I live the other side of addiction for most all of my life. And so my passion is to work with the families that are dealing with a loved one, substance use disorder or alcohol use disorder, to help them get their lives back on track so they can start living for themselves rather than being so wrapped up and focused on the, the person in their life that's struggling with addiction. Again, thank you both Dana and David. And today's topic is really an important informational conversation that we're going to have today. David, like you said, your intervention special, you've gone through some addictions. Now, addiction can come in all forms. Isn't that true? Absolutely. There's physical addictions and there's process addictions. Some that your body is uh, physically addicted to and some that your mind is addicted to. And as far as addiction goes, that, that really can be alcohol, prescription drugs, narcotics, it can be gambling, it could be sex, it can be all of the above, correct? Yep. Uh, Dana, you work with individuals and families. Is it like how to deal with and cope with the person or persons that are having or that have that addiction? Exactly. So the family members tend to get hijacked by their loved one um, and become all consumed and with getting them help, making sure they're safe, doing what they can for them. And the first thing they have to learn is they have to start taking care of themselves. That is so true. Yes. I hear of people that lose themselves in the other person's, almost if you want to call it life. Uh, I don't know if that would be something that's called being codependent. Absolutely. Uh, Enabling. Those are all behaviors that loved ones find themselves in. And that's a difficult, difficult place to be, I would think. And because of the fact that some may feel responsible or or some say, because I love the person so much, I'm going to do everything for them. But that sometimes that everything is can be the wrong thing. It, yes. Right. Often it's crippling them. Right. And extending and prolonging their consequences of being able to move to the next step of acceptance. David, Dana, you you two were former partners together. Did you feel that way? And Dana and David, were you aware 
each other's enabling behaviors and codependency and the harm that you were doing the other person who was the not addicted person. Were you aware of what was going on, David? I was aware, but at that time, it, I don't know if I say if it really was the first thought. The first thought is getting high, doing what I had to do to sustain that addiction. Because that, you know, when you're dealing with physical addictions, your body is craving for more and more. And unfortunately, we leave people by the wayside, you know, or we take hostages in relationships. And it's, yeah, it's very painful to others. And you realize more of it once you sober up the damage that has been created. Can I, can I ask you what your addiction or addictions were? Sure. I was addicted to, let's see, when do we want to start? Alcohol, cocaine, prescription opioids, heroin, gambling. That's just to name a few. I was addicted to anything that made me feel good. Dana, did you ever feel drawn, I mean, into becoming, well, becoming an addict or just partaking in what David was doing? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I've often said I could have gone either way at different times in my life. I don't think I had that genetic predisposition to, I don't know if you wanna call it addiction or obsessive, compulsive. I'm not of that nature. So it never grabbed hold of me like it did other people throughout my life. College years, I lived in LA for a long time. There was always drugs and alcohol that I partook in, but I always just kind of got over it. I just was like, okay, that's enough. I don't wanna do that anymore. And I know for addicts, it's not a choice like that. Right. For me, it was a choice. Somebody that has that addictive gene, whatever you want to call it, that personality type, they don't just get over it like I did. I don't take that lightly, but it's not so easy for some people. I was in relationships where I thought if I could do as much, whatever it was, cocaine or drinking as the other person and I was okay, then they were okay. Right. So that was my way of saying, oh, well, if I can do it and I'm OK, then they're, they don't have a problem either. And so, I mean, the things that I would justify and do to enable and make it right in my head was just crazy until I got into my own recovery and realized, you know, all the crazy making ways I was doing. So, yeah, it's I don't have a whole lot of experience of, you know, the situations that the, either one of you have gone through. So I, I can only go by what I've heard, what I've read through friends' experiences and things like that. But I'm glad you kind of said the, the gene thing there, Dana, because, you know, I hear both sides of the stories where some people say, well, why don't you, why can't you just quit? And then others say, well, they were born with it. it was, it's part of their gene and, and, it, and it was bound to happen, you know, that sort of thing. So is it true or is it kind of true that you are predisposition or can be if a family member i want to say in our research for our book addiction rescue it's about 50 50 so 50 percent you just come down the the birth canal that way predisposition and the other 50 percent is environmental so you know the influences trauma that can happen you know people that are living in circumstances that not only condone it but are doing it with them or there's trauma that leads them to that type of environment yeah, and there's people that go through chronic pain that get hooked on prescription pills. Uh, there's people that go through, have acute pain, the same thing. You know, they don't think about it, and all of a sudden they've been taking these pills long enough, and now the body becomes physically addicted after a while, needing more and more and more. And that's, 
We call it the beginning to the end. At the beginning, David, you were mentioning that addiction can be physical, it can be mental, uh, it could be both. Can you take us through, you know, your experience that you went through on the the physical part of the addiction? I, was it, what was that sensation or that feeling when you wanted to have it? You're already an addict and you had to have it. Was it just this overwhelming need? I got to have it. I do anything for it. And, you know, were bugs crawling inside of you? Did you feel that way? What was that sensation like? Well, when you're trying to kick it, it feels like someone's inside of you cutting themselves out of you. It's the worst pain anyone has ever, you know, taking a shower, the water actually hurt. You know, those are the pains that I remember. But the physical part of it is just the craving. You know, I remember one time I had been taking so many prescription opioids and I hadn't had any. This is the first time I was out in a while. And a guy came over to my apartment at the time and he says, I could help you. And he laid out a line and he said, don't ask any questions. And I snorted the line and now I'm hooked on heroin because opioids inevitably is a synthetic opioid, a synthetic heroin. And now I was getting, you know, straight heroin. Now, as far as addiction goes, neither one of you can answer this. My understanding is it's one of the few addictions or diseases that you can self-diagnose. But my, I guess really my question is, why is it that if you can self-diagnose yourself as an addict, what makes it so difficult to, to quit? Well, you know, that's a $64,000 question, right? What makes it so difficult to quit? Somewhere along the line, there was this limited self-belief built in to us that said, I am not enough. And every time I used and get high, I felt as if I was enough. I felt that other people liked me. I felt like I liked myself. And now you're telling me to remove the substances where now I'm going to be, be left alone with myself. And it's a, you know, it's more than a mindset. It's a spiritual malady. It's a physical malady that all created this shift in my persona to make me want to use. I don't want to say I can relate, but I can understand because I'm thinking back to the days of clubbing and, you know, you could say, oh, I got to get myself some liquid courage. And then somewhere along the line, you get addicted to that liquid courage and it makes you feel different. It makes you feel like you could come out of your shell. And like you were saying, David, it makes you feel you're wanted and that you are the guy or the girl. And... and I just don't want to lose sight of your your book because you too have authored a very important book that outlines steps on how to how to cope and how to help yourself along. Can you talk a little bit about your book, Dana? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is geared towards somebody that's wondering, am I an addict? Has my use tur turned to misuse? Or And it's to help them understand what it looks like, uh, where it comes from how to get into recovery, how to stay in recovery, and a lot of information in between. But it's also great for family members um, and the loved ones of addicts because it really helps them to understand a lot of what they're going through. We have in list form just signs and things to look for as for what addiction requires of you, what recovery requires of you what the excuses are that you use to justify your using, what the relapse signs look for. So it's, it's really comprehensive 
And it's, it's just for anybody that's questioning, is it too much? And we talk about addiction, like you were saying in the beginning, Chuck, it doesn't matter what the addiction is. It all has the same effect on the brain. It's all raising dopamine and serotonin and GABA levels, and it's all changing the neurotransmitters. So to recover from any of them, it's really the same steps. It all, it's the same process. So that's what we uh, do. We give, get them into recovery. We help them stay in recovery. We teach them how to change those neurotransmitters to increase the GABA and the serotonin and the dopamine without having to use substances or processes like you were talking about, whether it's gambling or shopping or game workaholic or if it's sex or porn. I mean, it can cover the whole gamut of anything that becomes obsessive that's causing consequences or throwing your life out of balance. Okay, so like you're saying that your book will actually help with any one of the compulsive behaviors which may be an addiction or which can be. It helps you identify and helps you learn how to... Can I say fix that? <laughs> fix is probably well, the wrong word, no, right? <laughs> yeah, there's no cure. There's no fix. There's just steps you can take, and it's a mindful uh, process and a mindful practice on a regular daily basis. There is no cure, but there is a solution. Ah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Is there such a thing as a cure to this? But there really isn't. It's something that you have to work on a, a, a daily basis, and it becomes part of your part of your daily life right just working yeah. work through it they say you have a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of your spiritual program which means it doesn't matter what happened yesterday tomorrow's not here um you know today is a new day to work on yourself and continue and if you don't do the things necessary you know i say there's a chance that caught off guard under the right set of circumstances, you know, the devil's going to crawl up your leg, bite you in the ass, and boom, you're gone. And that's how quick it happens. So it's the constant maintenance. You know, this morning I got up at 5.45 to go to my 7 a.m. meeting, you know, that I go to. There's 150 people that show up to this morning meeting. I, I go to an AA meeting every morning. And it's, you know, that's all part of it. It's just a great way to start your day. Can I ask how long you've been clean and sober, David? So I haven't had a drink in almost 33 years, but I'm almost 11 years off of prescription opioids and dope. This year will be 11 years. Congratulations. And, and, and life is every bit as good and much better that you're clean, right? Well, I, you know, I love the line that I use. That sobriety has given me everything drugs and alcohol promised. That's an important phrase. I hope people who are listening really take that to heart. I do know a handful, more than a handful, of recovering addicts. So, like I said, it's, I haven't had personal experience or not much of personal experience, but through friends and friends of friends. And I often see on the social media posts and things like that, you know, People saying, I've made it two years, I've made it 30 days, I've made it 12, 15, 17 years. It, it seems like situations, maybe mentioning it gives accountability. Is that true sometimes? If you say, hey, I'm sober today, I'm going to make it another day, and you announce it to some friends, does that help you be accountable? Yes, absolutely. And there's... You know, you go to any meeting, there's plenty of people counting days. 
that raise their hand in the first 90 days. Because what it is, it's not only a celebration of an, uh, the amount of time you're clean, it's a recognition of the, uh, a new way of life. And it's important for people to recognize this. Not only for themselves, but the people closest to them begin to see a little change in them and wondering, God, he just looks different, you know? They look different. Something's going on with them. Yeah. Dana, the two of you also have a business together, as you mentioned, not just an authors of the book, but you do have a business. I'm, I'm guessing it's nationwide. You can help anybody and anyone. Absolutely. Yep. Any, anytime, anywhere, our services um, can be implemented around the country. We can do coaching through Zoom or a, a platform like this. Uh, David travels all over the country to do interventions and work with uh, the families to coordinate those interventions. And, and coaching sometimes takes us out of our space too. You know, we do sober companionship. We, I was going to say sober escorts, transports. So whatever somebody needs to stay or get into recovery, we're there for. So how does one reach out for your services or how, how do they get your coaching? Do you have a, a website that they could go to? Yes. So I'm going to give you two websites. Uh, the website that David and I run together is theliferecoverycoach.com. You can find all our services there. For coaching in particular for families, there's danagolden.coach. And that's my coaching uh, programs that are available. And there's phone numbers everywhere on, on our websites to get a hold of us. You can book in a call if you just need a consultation, if you want to know what's going on, if you want to know how we can help. And then Addiction Rescue, the No BS Guide to Recovery, can be bought on Amazon or our website, either website. And there is a free downloadable workbook that works right alongside of the book Addiction Rescue that you can download for free on the website. Oh, good. Yeah, and I'm glad that you showed the, the book there, David. In fact, I wanted to ask you, what's the significance of that road? Well, that's a road that many have to begin to journey, and they see there's one person on this road. Right, and it becomes pretty lonely at first. And then the vastness of coming over the mountain and finding so many people that are involved with what you're doing. But initially it is a lonely process to get started. And you know, you say until you really find your tribe and you realize that you're not alone on this journey, that together we could do what you could not do alone. It's a road to recovery. For sure. There's not a revolving door in recovery, meaning that if you go back out there, there's no guarantee you're coming back in here alive. And believe me, I have been the pallbearer at one too many funerals and hear stories all the time that they went out for one more and you know, something catastrophic. Might have ended up in jail for a vehicular homicide. I met a guy at a meeting recently, same thing. You know, he went back out, ended up driving while he was drunk with two guys in his car. And uh, they both died, and he survived. I had a I had a lunch meeting with a gentleman yesterday whose son, who was 25, was sober for a while, and he bought one oxycodone or oxycotton pill off the streets, laced with fentanyl, a normal amount that he had done over and over again, and died. You know, that's the thing is where it can happen today, tomorrow next month, next year, you just don't know. But if you don't stop, it's it's probably inevitable that something bad is going to happen. Now, that something bad could be 
to yourself or someone else. As you mentioned, David, you could be in a vehicular homicide and you come out okay, but you've taken a life. Yep. We, we often talk about there's only three ends to active addiction, and that's jails, institutions, or death. But we offer a fourth. That's called recovery from a seemingly hopeless state of body and mind. I'm picking up on this, David. You you talk a lot about the body and the mind. So healing, fixing both or healing both is an important thing. Is it almost like you can't do one without the other? You can do one without the other, but to live happy, joyous, and free, if you incorporate all three of those, your life transforms in ways you never imagined. You know, it's kind of like... When the sunlight of the spirit revolutionizes, you begin to feel changes that you never thought were possible. And it comes down to, yes, what is, you know, the mind, body, spirit. Obviously, you take care of your spirit doing things that are going to be health, healthy and helpful for your recovery. You know, physically, you're going to take care of yourself. If you can't get a workout in daily, then you have to reevaluate. If you can't do something on a meditative basis, eating is really important. What we put in our food, uh, in our system, is directly proportionate to the way we feel. You know, we have something in there about gut health in the book as well. If you're gonna keep eating this crap food, I was talking to a client yesterday, I said, where are you? He says, well, I only had a quick break for lunch, I ran to McDonald's. And I say, well, there's a price you pay for the way you feel, you know? <laughs> And that's yeah, that's the other thing like addiction. It can be anything food addiction, fast food addiction, whatever it could be. The bottom line, it's going to affect your health, yourself and others around you. So absolutely. Yeah, it's is. Well, I was going to ask, is there is there are there statistics out there on success rates of recovering addicts or anything like that? Is it a doom and gloom, or is there hope out there for for addicts of any type? Well, it all depends on, you know, who you look at. You know, most of the treatment centers around, you know, they'll proclaim 75% success rate. Well, if they're talking to 7 out of 10 people they call, and those 7 people see that the phone's coming in from the treatment center that they just went to, and they're sober, they're going to pick up, Right? The other three who see, oh, God, they're relapsed, and they're not going to answer from the treatment center. So are some of the numbers skewed? Yes. Listen, the percentages are small. Okay, they really are. But if you do the work, the percentages grow, and that's the difference. People just want to come in there to, you know, they, I say they have back problems, right? They're trying to get the old lady off their back. They're trying to get the job off their back. Everything is loading them up. And they're coming for the wrong reasons. When you come and do this for yourself, I think that's, and you have the commitment to really want to change, to fight through the urges, to learn how to access some of the tools that are given to you and utilizing them. You know, I have guys that call me and say, can I be honest with you? I drank last night. And I said, you know, I appreciate that part of your honesty, but honesty for me comes in, when you call me and say, hey, I feel like having a drink, okay? Now you're learning how to tell on yourself and be transparent. And that's the first step into recovery, learning how to tell, really tell on those mental obsessive compulsive thoughts 
that are entering your mind and sharing them with somebody else because you know, those secrets were only as sick as, and those will keep us really, really sick. Yeah, now, Dana, so, like David was saying, you have to commit yourself, and you have to want to. Do you find a lot of people who are on the other end, family members, friends who are not the addict, but they're telling the addict, you got to stop or else, you need to stop, you need to stop, why don't you stop? And they're constantly bombarding that addict with, what they want that addict and how they want that addict to, to behave, is is that something that the non-addict should be wise of and try to not yeah. do it? Yeah, they need, they need to refrain from that because all of the begging, pleading, bargaining, threatening doesn't work. And it's, it's, it's only going to piss them off more, make them run the other way. So, um, and those are the tools that that us as loved ones need to have in our tool belts is to be able to walk away and to be able to not engage in that way and to be able to not try to fix it and understand that it's not a fixable situation um, unless the person wants to get help. And, you know, like I said before, by doing that stuff, you're just prolonging the inevitable. So the best thing a loved one can do for their addict is to get help for themselves, get themselves into a place of recovery and taking care of themselves because the addict will follow suit. And being in their face, they're going to run the other way. The bottom line, service such as yours, the two of you provide, is vital. I mean, the, the coaching for those who are the friend the loved one of the addict and david you definitely helping out those who are addicts to do an intervention it, it sounds like oftentimes you can self-diagnose you can recognize it but you you're not aware or you you choose to ignore it when it's happening or you know some people will say wow i, I can still go to work a functioning alcoholic a functioning addict but that doesn't mean that you are truly functioning, I wouldn't think. Well, you're functioning until you're not functioning. It's really the convolution of your mind believing that you can function like this. Obviously, you can go through, you know, many people say that they're functioning in life, but I question, are they really happy? Or are they just going through the motions? Chuck, I just want to mention here that, you know, David was functioning as a CEO of our company Drung out on opioids, making millions of dollars. So, you know, there's very high level functioning executives and CEOs and people of just, you know, regular walks of life too. But it doesn't mean they don't need to take a look at what's going on inside. Yeah. And David, you keep going back to about happy, happy, happy. So they may, like you said, Dana, too, they may be functioning, they may be CEOs, CFOs, COOs, whatever it might be, or they could be the, the, the district manager of a fast food place but it does it's probably the chances are likely they are not happy with their life there's something in there that and it, it'll catch up to you yes oh, I, again i just want to either one of you mention your book and where they can go to get help of using your services and there's that so addiction Addiction Rescue, The No BS Guide to Recovery is the name of the book. You can get it at any bookseller um, online, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Uh, you can also get it on either one of uh, the websites we have, theliferecoverycoach.com. 
where you can find all our services from interventions and sober escorts and sober companions to family coaching. Uh, to learn more about my family coaching program, you can go to danagolden.coach. You can buy the book on either website. You can download a free ebook to work alongside of Addiction Rescue as you read it on either website. Uh, phone numbers are there, book in a call. We do free consultations. We'll help you decipher what's going on, what needs to be done, how to get to the next step, and what that process looks like and what's needed. Full shop service. Absolutely. We cover the whole gamut of addiction and recovery. I, I think you've provided a wealth of information. Is there anything else that you want to share before we close out? I'm just really grateful that we have a platform like this and you have a podcast like this that could reach many because since the pandemic, we have seen the collateral damage. We've seen the carnage and fallout. You know, we hear the stories. We know the stories. I've lived the stories. Um, and you know what? There is hope. You don't have to keep living the way you're living and feeling the way you're feeling. And when I heard that years ago, that alone was a message of hope that they found a different way. And I think for any of your listeners, that if they're contemplating, thinking about it, that life isn't the way they want, give us a call. Check us out. See what we're doing. And see if it's a fit for you all. Um, you know, listen, life isn't so much about our successes and accomplishments, but truly overcoming adversity. And everyone has some type of adversity in their life. It might be the ripple effect of somebody living with someone or peripherally knowing someone with addiction. And we're here to help that as well. I've got to add that listening to the two of you is you put it in terms that everybody can understand. You put it in terms where people can relate. And if it's relatable, I see hope. Yeah. And that, yes. that's, that's really it's the simplicity of the message is what we're trying to dispense. Yeah, so, and, and that's truly our message is of hope because obviously David and I are ex-spouses, but we have come together for a mutual beneficial cause to help other people. And one of the other first things I try to teach when I'm working uh, with families is you have to separate the person from the addiction because David Marion, the person, would never cause the wreckage he did to his family, to his business, to his own life, right? But he had a terrible addiction that caused those things to happen. It's just like having a kid, right? You love your kid, but you don't like their behavior all the time when they're acting naughty. And addiction, addiction's the same way. They're just acting naughty because they've got they've got this, this monkey on their back. And so once you can separate the person from the addiction, you don't have to like the addiction, but you, you know, obviously you're in the relationship with the person for a reason. You loved them or were attracted to them or were drawn to them at some point. And that, that's really important to understand. Because, you know, David, Dave, one of David's lines is, anytime you put addiction up against potential, addiction's going to kick potential's ass 10 out of 10 times. And so these people, when they're in active addiction, they don't stand a chance. They are, they're not themselves. Yes, when you dance with the gorilla, it's the gorilla that decides when to stop, right? Well <laughs> said on that. 